During Easter, we have what we call resurrection stories. And these uh, resurrection stories are testimonies from members in our congregation about how Christ continues to bring resurrection to their life. Because when you become a believer, that Jesus didn't, he didn't end there. His work doesn't stop there. He continues to bring resurrection. That means he's not done with you yet. And these resurrection stories is us sharing how Christ continues to bring resurrection. How he continues to remind us that you might not be where you want to be, but you're not where you used to be either. I am working in your life. And so today we want to invite Marianne Wells up to share her resurrection story with us. Jesus is the risen king. Amen. Amen. I hope you realize that Jesus was not a victim on the cross. Okay? He was not a victim. He allowed himself to be crucified. And death did not take his life. He allowed death to take his life. Because at any given moment, he could have came down from that cross. So we can't make Jesus so much like us that we lose sight of who he truly is. He's God in the flesh. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bible, please open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will be looking at verses 20 through 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. 30 years ago, I mean, sorry, 20 years ago, 39 members of a cult called Heaven's Gate committed mass suicide. These 21 men, 21 women, and 17 men believed that their deaths would graduate them to a higher level of existence, an existence far above humanity. So back in 1997, during the week of March 20th, they committed mass suicide in shifts. They took their lives over a three-day period, holding on to and believing that their souls would board some spaceship that was traveling past the comet Hale-Bopp. Now, when you hear tragedies like this, they leave you wondering and asking certain questions. How can people claim such beliefs? How can people allow themselves to be deceived this way. People want hope. All people do. You want hope. Hope that your life can be better. Hope that your circumstances uh, would change for the best. Hope that things won't always be this way. You long for hope. Hope in this life. Hope beyond this life. Hope beyond the grave. And even hope beyond death. That's why some of you showed up here today. You want hope. You want to see it. You want to feel it. You want to believe it. But here's the thing. All hope isn't created equal. Where's my son? I didn't get my son. Okay. I didn't think I would have to use this on Easter, but I guess I will. All hope isn't created equal. Hope can be powerful or hope can be useless. True hope is powerful. 
False hope, useless. False hope can lead people into a cult. It can lead people down self-destructive paths like mass suicide or even being a suicide bomber. It's easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled, says Mark Twain. Have Christians been fooled? Some of you know where I'm headed with this. Have Christians been fooled? Are Christians clinging to and holding on to a false hope, a useless hope? Because think about it. The Christian faith hinges on a story that seems too good to be true. I hope you realize that. Our whole faith hinges on a story that seems too good to be true. But what do you mean, Pastor? Well, here's what I mean. A child born of a virgin? A child who's the son of God? A child who is both human and divine? A child who grows into a man who lives a perfect, sinless life? I mean, it sounds too good to be true. And, And I'm not done yet. This man is also crucified on the cross for the sins of the world. Buried in the grave. And then three days later, he's resurrected. Forty days later, we say he ascended into heaven. And right now, he sits next to the God the Father, right hand, looking down upon us. It is a story that seems too good to be true. A lot of it. And there's a lot of people who don't believe it. And guess what? There are some people asking certain questions about you. How can those people claim such beliefs? How could those people allow themselves to be deceived this way? What's your answer? What's your answer to those people? See, what skeptics claim to be deception, Christians claim to be truth through faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that's too good to be true, and yet it's true. It's true. There's no need to change the narrative. The day Jesus was born, that's that's when the narrative changed forever. The day he was born, the narrative changed forever, and it changed for the good. Everything the Bible teaches us about Christ is real. It's historical. It's supernatural. It's redemptive. His birth, his life, his death, his grave, his resurrection, his ascension, and hopefully one day when he comes back, and he's coming back. It's all happening. It's all real. It's all real. And Christians, you can rock that truth. You can claim it boldly, lovingly, and gracefully. That's what Paul does for us in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 20 through 28. He claims that, in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. Here's God's holy word. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then after his coming those who belong to Christ. Then the end, then comes the end. And when he delivers the kingdom to God, Your father, after destroying every rule, every authority, every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. 
But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that, that God is excluded who have put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to God who put all things in subjection under the Son, that God may be all and in all. This is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. Father, there all your people around the world are celebrating the resurrection today. We are remembering that Jesus did conquer the grave. We are celebrating that. We are hopeful, Father, in this life, despite the things that we go through, despite the dangers and the evils we see in the world, we don't lose hope. We don't lose hope because we know that our God is still on his throne, working his plan of redemption. And so, Father, we we, we need a word from you. Don't need a word from Alex. Don't need a word from the Village Church. We need a word from you. We need you to use your spirit and take these words, Lord, and and minister to those who are here today. You, You know where everyone is. You know what we're dealing with. You know the things we deal with day to day. You see us. Not the fake us, not the us we show to other people. You see the real us. So that's why, that's my prayer, that you would minister to the real us today. Not the us we want other people to see, but the person that we are when no one else is around. That person. Let that person meet Christ today. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. How does it make you feel when you see a Coca-Cola commercial? Think about it. How do you feel when you see a a Coca-Cola commercial? What what, what do you take from a a good Coke commercial? And what do you think they're actually selling? It's more than just Coke. It's more than just Coke. See, see, they're they're attaching a Coca-Cola drink to your everyday life, to a relationship, to that first date, to a first kiss, to a crush, to a vacation, to a family gathering, to family dinner. Coke sells happiness, an experience, a pleasure, or a moment. Now, what about Easter? What's Easter selling you today? A nice spring outfit? A basket with candy? An egg hunt? A picture with the Easter bunny, a new haircut, a new hairdo, a once-a-year church experience, a nice meal later, or false hope. What's Easter selling you today? It sells you nothing. It sells you nothing. Easter is not in the selling business. Easter is in the giveaway business. Easter gives something to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Those who confess their sin those who repent of their sins, those who trust in Jesus, depend on Jesus, surrender to Jesus, and live for Jesus. Easter gives them guarantees. It gives them certainties. It gives them assurance. It gives them hope, true hope, powerful hope. Well, how is that possible, Pastor? How can something so commercialized give hope and assurance and certainties and guarantees? 
It's because Easter isn't about a magical bunny that's going to bring you colorful hard eggs that will give you gas later. That's not what Easter is about. Not about a magic bunny. It's about a man. Not just any man, a God man, Jesus Christ. Easter is about his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection from the grave. And his resurrection is a certainty that certain benefits will come your way. His resurrection is, a, is, is an assurance that comforts your heart. It comforts your soul. His bodily and physical resurrection guarantees your bodily and physical resurrection. Okay? It guarantees it. Paul says Christ's resurrection is the first fruits. That is an agricultural term. It refers to the earliest crops that are gathered during the, during the harvest season. And these first crops are a signal of the forthcoming harvest. And the same is with Christ's resurrection. It's a signal for your future resurrection that's still to come and the resurrection of all believers who have already passed on. It's a pledge, a certainty, a guarantee that you can take to the bank. It's going to happen, as Paul says. But in fact, Christ has been raised, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep, of those who have passed on, of those who have died. This is possible because of who Jesus is and because of what he does. He is the Son of God, period. He is God and man, period. He is the crucified Savior, period. He is the resurrected Redeemer, period. But do you believe it? Or do you just think about it, talk about it, but is it here in your heart? Do you really believe it in Jesus? Parents, I lost my spot here. Yeah, here we go. Parents become experts in cleaning up messes they don't make, particularly during potty training time. And others of you also, from personal experience, know what it's like to clean up someone else's mess, a roommate's mess, a sibling's mess, a friend's mess, a classmate's mess, a spouse's mess, a co-worker's mess, or even a neighbor's mess. Jesus knows what it's like, too, because he had to clean up someone else's mess, too. You see, Jesus in the Bible, Jesus is also known as the second Adam, the second Adam. He fixes what the first Adam broke. He cleans up the mess of the, the, that the first Adam made. And I'm telling you, the first Adam made a horrible mess. A horrible mess. And this wasn't the you go sit and time out type of mess. This wasn't you're going to get a good talking to type of mess. This was you went to your daddy get home type of mess. <laughs> this was you're going to get a spanking type of mess. And the mess that he made not only impacted him, it impacts you. The consequences that the first Adam received, you received. The first Adam disobeyed God. He sinned against God. And by his disobedience, all people are made sinners. You're made a sinner. I'm made a sinner. And you need to feel the weight of those words. By his disobedience, every person in the world is made a sinner. 
I don't care how good they are. I don't care how righteous they are. Sinners. That means the do-gooder and the evil person both are sinners in the eyes of God. Because they're all the descendants of Adam. This person's sin is different than that person's. But in the eyes of God, they both are sinners. The burden of those words should make you feel something. The trespass of the first Adam led to the condemnation of all human beings. The first Adam brought sin into the world. Sin. And he also brought sin's twin brother, death. He brought both of them into the world. That's what verses 21a and verse 22b says. By a man came death, for so as in Adam all die. All die. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And death spread to all people because all sin. In Adam all die. In Adam you die. You die. Now some of you feel that's unfair. Because it's not your fault Adam messed up. I mean, you weren't there telling the brother to eat from the tree. You wasn't there. So how can I be held accountable for what he did? It's not right for me to suffer for his disobedience. Listen, I understand. I don't like it either. And I get it. But here's the thing. You can also be set free by someone else's obedience. You see? The good news is better than the bad news. You can also be set free. From someone else's obedience. And that's the second Adam. That's Jesus Christ. His one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all people. By his obedience, many will be made righteous. And your heart should be leaping for joy right now because of that. But is it? But is it? Does it leap for joy? Does it touch your affections? Or is it just intellectual knowledge? I had lunch with my son on Thursday at his school, and two of his first grade classmates joined us, uh, one named Brian and the other named Jamarjay. And it was entertainment watching the three of them interact. I mean, I laughed a lot, especially when they started talking about their teacher's color-coded behavior chart. You see, every student begins the day on green. Every day that everybody starts out on green. And from green, you can move up to blue. Or hopefully you can get to the prize color, purple. Everyone wants to be on purple. Purple is the promised land for these kids. But now, here's the thing. Go on, you can also, you can move up, but you can also move down. You can also move down to yellow, to orange, to no man's land, which is red. No one wants to be on red. Red is bad in the classroom. And so I asked them, I said, how can you move up the chart? Bryant says, it takes hard work. (laughs) It takes hard work. He also said, I've been working my butt off trying to move up that chart. (laughs) Many of you are like Bryant. That's how you live your life, working hard to get on purple. That's how some of you parent. 
working hard to get on purple. That's how some of you approach Christianity, working hard to get on purple. That's how some of you do marriage, working hard to get on purple. That's how some of you function in your relationships, working hard to get on purple. That's, how, that's why some of you come to church today on Easter, because you're working hard to get on purple. That's how you relate to God, working hard to get on purple. And I'm asking you, are you tired yet? Are you burnt out yet? Have you finally reached the promised land yet? Are you on purple? Because purple represents perfection, total obedience, completeness, no struggles. Have you made it yet? Have you arrived yet? You can't. God isn't my teacher. And I don't care how hard you work, how hard you sweat, how much you cry, how good you pretend to be. You ain't ever going to get on purple. The closest you're going to get to purple is putting prints on the CD and listening to Purple Rain over and over. Or watch the color purple. That's that's the closest you're going to get. That's the closest you're going to get to purple. Because with God, you don't even start out on green. You're on red, man. You're already in no man's land. You start at the bottom. And with God, there are no in-between colors. You either red or you purple. There are no shades of gray. There's no curves. You're either red or purple. And the only way you can move from red to purple it's dependent upon someone rescuing you from red. It's dependent upon someone else's obedience because your obedience isn't good enough. It won't ever be good enough. You need the obedience of the second Adam. You need Jesus Christ. Period. That's the only way you get out of no man's land. That's the only way you get to purple. It's through Jesus. Some of you believe that, some of you don't believe it. But I'm here to tell you, you ain't ever going to get the purple without Jesus. He's the only way. Jesus is already on purple, but he trades places with you. He trades places with you. He takes your place on red and gives you his place on purple. That's the gospel. Sacred Corinthians 521 says, For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus puts you on red, but do you believe it? Yes, it sounds too good to be true, but it's still true. If you don't have saving faith in Jesus, then you are stuck on red. You're in no man's land. But you can get out through Jesus. You can get out. But will you come? Will you confess? Will you repent? Will you surrender? If you do have faith in him, then you're permanently on red in the sight of God. You're clothed in Christ's righteousness. So that means you live on purple all the time. You sleep on purple, you walk on purple, you struggle on purple, you fall short on purple, you would die on purple, and you would be resurrected on purple. All because of who Jesus is, all because of what Jesus does. For by a man came death, and by a man also comes the resurrection of the dead. And Adam all died, but in Christ all are made alive. But do you believe it? Is this real? 
Or is this, or am I just blowing hot air out to you? Or are you just here checking out the time to get the Easter dinner? Is it real? Is it real or is it just simply entertainment? Is it real? Or is this just something to do in the South? Go to church on Easter. It has to be more than that. It has to be more than that. This is life and death. This life does not last forever. At some point, we're all going to meet our maker. And you're either going to be standing on Christ's righteousness or you're going to be standing in no man's land. One or the other. It's available to you. Will you come? God has placed everything in subjection to Christ. Everything is under Christ. And so what does that mean, Pastor? That means you don't get to God apart from Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the one. There's no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. That is Jesus. And he is putting all his enemies under his feet. And one day, when he returns, every knee will bow. You either going to bow now or you're going to bow at the end. Eventually, you're going to bow. If you ain't bow now, you will bow one day. Now, I'm saying bow today. Bow today. Because when he comes again, he's coming as a conquering king. As Paul says, every rule, every authority, every power will be nullified when Christ returns. Every knee shall bow before him. And with the final resurrection of his people, the, the, the destruction of death will finally be complete when he returns. Now, I want you to look at that table. This table here. This table is this, this called the Lord's table. It's the Lord's Supper. This is what Christians do to remember the, to the resurrection of Christ. You see, because he conquered the grave, because death could not hold him down, we all can partake of this meal saying death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for our trespasses, but raised for our justification. Delivered up for your sins, but raised for your justification. Christianity does not offer you false hope. Okay? It's not false hope. What Christianity offers you is true, powerful hope in Jesus' name. Hope for this life, hope beyond this life. Your future resurrection is guaranteed. Jesus will never let you down. I don't care what we suffer. I don't care how much we're persecuted. We cannot lose our eternal hope as believers because Jesus purchased that for us. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever struggles you may have, Jesus is big enough. He's big enough for them. But do you believe it? Give him some credit. If he can defeat death, he can heal your circumstances. Think about that. He defeated death. Is he not big enough 
to meet you where you are in your current struggles. Give him some credit. Give him some credit that he is able to do it because of who he is. This meal that we're going to partake is is for those who have faith in Christ, those who know him, those who have surrendered to him. Now, friends and neighbors, if you don't have faith in Christ, we consider it an honor to have you here. And if you have any questions of what it means to be in a relationship with him, please see me after the service. Please talk with me, and I'll tell you the wonderful ways that my Savior can save you from your sins. I'll, I'll, be, I'll make myself available after the service if you would like to talk with me. Parents, we do ask that you, the kids with you abstain from the elements until they've been invited to the table by the church that you attend or a member of. Now, kids, I need all the kids. This is my favorite part of the Lord's Supper because I get to talk to each of you. This meal is a reminder to each and every one of you that Jesus died for your sins. Okay? There are those who don't believe it, but it happened. He died so that you could be made right with God. He rose again so that each and one of you could be made right with God. And as your pastor, it's my prayer along with your parents that one day each and every one of you become the saving faith and be able to partake of this meal with your mom and dad. So this is not just about juice and bread. It's a, rem- it's a reminder that Christ died for your sins so that you can be made right with God. Okay? That's what I want you to take from this. I would like to invite the officers assisting to come up and before we protect the elements, let's spend a few moments asking the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Here's God's benediction to his beloved people. Now may God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.